wild morning with the boys behind the glass getting ready for the show normally i don't like talking too much i like to save my energy for the people for the listeners who i adore and who i owe a career to i don't know you guys anything you owe me like that's just facts you guys owe me i save my energy for this show today you guys have me going Number one, <laughs> Harmon drinks Caesars at the baseball game so he doesn't have to pee, which is, I, I've never heard of anything crazier than that. I, 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 I don't know anything more to say until Austin informs me that, so it's your actual belief. I need this to, like, hold on. I need to know how you came with this theory. Okay. As anybody who's been to the Rogers Center knows, if you try to go to the 100 level area near the catch or near the bullpen, the free areas, you got to go early. You, you got to go early because the bros from Mimico, as I like to say, they like to come down and get into the stadium immediately. Then there's bobblehead days like Saturday for Bautista, for example, you, you got to sleep in tents outside the stadium. If you want to sit there, if you want to get a Bautista bobblehead and you want to sit, stand at the rail in the one hundreds, you show up early. The only times that I've even stood in those sections and not just gone to my seats is has been times where it's been like a Tuesday night and I grab a spot in a corner. And I go, oh, you know what? I'm just going to end up standing here. You know what? This standing spot isn't so bad, but it's always off to the sides. Never in the middle, never near the catch bar, never in that zone. Austin Mackey's contention is that the bros that are there never leave that they wear diapers so that they can stay there all night, which where did you come up with this theory? This is, is this your well, first off JD shout out Mimico I'm from Mimico as well. Yeah. Could no, be but, one of those Mimico boys. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's, it's always, just, I'm just saying like the Pickering. No, you, no, no. You it's, a fair, your it's, the a GTA, fair, it's a fair, it's a fair characterization. If you're going down that early, it's just not a, it's just not a thing. I'm sorry. you you do not live in the city of Toronto. If you're standing in that section. Get on that Mimico go train. I don't go believe two you. stops. Yeah, no, this is I mean. not my theory. I have heard this bantied about amongst uh, my group of people. You say bantied like panties? <laughs> no, bantied. Like, you know, no, mentioned, bandied. like, how are these people not leaving? <laughs> we got to go see these seats. Um, I think it's either diapers or incredible control that I can't even imagine in my own personal life. Dude. So that's why I have a hard time uh, thinking that they are staying there for it, the whole game. It's 0% diapers. Um, that's lunacy. Could you imagine, by the way, you go to the Jays game in shorts, jeans. You just you think the fellas there are just filling their diapers, standing there, just standing against no, the it's rail. It's a good, peeing. and then what, they're taking the go train back. Yeah, and then they, just, they, they go, buddy, imagine the bathroom stations. No, that's what I'm saying. Imagine the bathrooms at the end of the games, just stuffed all the bath, all the bathroom garbage <laughs> that's a good cans. Point. Yeah, I didn't think just about that. Overpiled with adult diapers because the bros won't leave the, the railing. No, this is nuts. All you do is say to your buddies when you're staying at the rail, hey, I'm going to go to the washroom, hold my spot. That's it. You're with a group. You're with a group, and then one person, you go back in with your group. That's it, Mackie. There's nothing else to it. That's, the diaper, that's, that's super easy. The diaper yeah. theory is truly hilarious. Not this is bad. not a Taylor Swift concert, which we will maybe touch on later, because, yeah. I'm, a, I'm in the queue. Why not? I'm one of the 30 million Canadians. You, Armin? No, you're not in. No, I can't say. Mackie, you sign up? No, no, I'm not. A, I'm not a T Swift person. Neither, neither am I. I. I don't give a crap. But there is the potential of two things. One, all time date move. All-time date move. You bring your girl to Taylor Swift, you're set. 
it's locked in forever. That's a, that's a new engagement ring is Taylor Swift concert tickets. Or, you know, remember it was promise ring. Remember there used to be that thing when you were like in junior high. That's basically a promise ring. If I went to a Taylor Swift show and I brought a date and she ever like cheated on me, left me like she was the one who broke up. I don't know how I'd handle that. <laughs> I think you just go into a full blown depression. You never recover if you're that kind of guy. Um, okay. Then the other wild thing from this morning where we're talking about owing money and I was saying to you guys that if somebody owes me $500, let's say, right? Multiple hundreds of dollars. I don't that I'm not pressed about that. You can take your time. Like, I really don't care. You owe me 500 bucks. You owe me a thousand bucks. It's okay. I know you're going to pay me that back. We're not going to have an issue. Eventually, whatever you take your time, you need a payday, whatever's going on. It drives me insane when someone owes me like in the era of e-transfer, when someone owes you like less than a hundred dollars and they don't pay you immediately. Cause Mackie was like, you're good at paying right away. I was like, yeah, of course. What are you talking about? How is this not a thing for everybody? If somebody owes you less than a hundred dollars and they don't pay you within the second they owe you that less than a hundred dollars within the hour, I would say that's a bad person. That's just a bad person. Like, I, I don't think you should be, you know, there's markers with your friends where you go, I don't trust this person, right? It's the old, would you leave your girlfriend with that guy test? I think that it's, this applies the same way where it's like, if there's a guy and he owes you less than a hundred dollars and he doesn't immediately think, Hey, I'll just shoot you that money by e-transfer. That guy never wants to pay you. He's trying to get away with it. He's trying to steal from you or she, whatever. That's, that's a hundred percent a move. They're not doing, Oh, I forgot. No, you j- this just happened. Just send it to me now. It'll take two seconds on your phone. Fire away. Two seconds. So yeah, I'm adding that to the list of red flags for friendships. 100%. They want you to forget. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're trying to steal from you. That's why it's a red flag. Is It's not like, oh, I really need the $38 that I just spent or that you're supposed to owe me for this meal. It's that you're trying to steal. You're actively trying to steal from this person. The amount of you trying to steal versus, oh, whoops. I would say is 99 to one in trying to steal versus, oh, whoops. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. Anyway, Blue Jays. Oh, wait, you got a thought well, on this well, one? I, see, I have roommates, right? And when it's bill time at the end of the month, is a week okay to get back on that Enbridge bill? Or no. like, yeah, I agree roommate, with you. Bills, As you the primary payer, it's the, like. Yeah, the only time when roommates can be late on bills is if it's very straight up upfront going, yo, I need a week if someone can spot me. Yo, I need this. There's nothing, man, oh, university living with bros. We just like, basically we never paid our energy bill until we would get the slip <laughs> until the slip would show up on the mailbox no and, they go, and they would go, Hey, we're shutting your power off unless you get the $400 that you owe together here. Wait, no one took care of this. I thought, what? No, that was the thing. It was just, it was just a bad. Yeah. Oh, I thought oh, you were I supposed know. to do this. I well, know. you guys didn't pay. Yeah, it's the worst. That's a nightmare. That's the, I, you're giving me like PTSD. And then all of a sudden everybody's an accountant, right? The bill comes due and everyone's like, well, technically you did laundry on this day. No, at this no, no. Time. It's, not, it's not even that. It wasn't that for us. It was more, more like there are late penalties. And so who should incur them? The, the person that was supposed to be in charge of the bill 
You know, like what, what, how much money did we give on the last bill? Did you clear the last bill or was, did you let some carryover happen? Like all of a sudden people are going through it. Like they're the, the CRA, <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody is the chief accountant at the CRA. Whenever the big bill comes in and you're living in the house with the fellas. Yeah. That's, that's a tough time. That's not a, that's not a fun time. Anyway, blue Jays also not a fun time. They won. Great. Hooray. One, nothing. That's uh, one run over two games for your Toronto Blue Jays. Thank you, George Springer, for a first inning 13-pitch at-bat home run. Okay, so fine, they won. If we're doing the good, again, it's the starting pitching. Awesome. Kevin Gossman goes out and he deals, and the bullpen comes in, and they've been the best in baseball the last week. And that's without Jordan Romano. That's without my guy Richards. Um. I just don't have too much to say about a baseball game that was a bit of a slog. And boy, at the bottom of the order, it's the same thing right now where Varshows comes up with runners in scoring position again multiple times. Can't do it. They have the bases loaded with one out. Can't do anything with it. Paul DeYoung, it's just, I don't want to see you play baseball anymore. I don't care how slick you are playing short. I This team, here's the thing about DeYoung, and it's not his fault. This team is so meek at the dish. They're so inept at the plate that adding another guy now who is just a, the, the cherry on top of the poo-poo Sunday that is this offense at times whenever they're like in a meaningful spot, it's just it's hard to take. It's, it's hard to add to that. That's why people love David Schneider. He's set forever because he just came in and the Jays weren't scoring any runs and the kid just immediately mashed. And, and now it's like, build him a statue. Oh my God, we just needed that here. We needed to be able to see some balls fly over the fence. We needed to see a guy take some walks, have a good approach, make some hard contact. Oh boy, DeYoung, it's like, man, swinging strike, swinging strike, swinging strike, good night. He had the one ball yesterday that he hit his last at bat. Cause I was actually going to tweet about him. I was a little triggered and I was like, oh, that's enough of this. <laughs> and then he had a hard hit ball. And it was a nice play by the shortstop to get him out. Yeah. I think it was a shortstop. Uh, gets him out. I'm like, okay, fine. You get that. That one was bad. That one was bad. You, you should have had a hit there. You should have gotten one. But outside of that, it's been just painful, man. But what I didn't realize until yesterday is that it's been a lot of, Blaming the hitting coach because I saw Guillermo Martinez was trending. I, I saw Guillermo Martinez and I went, huh? Let me just take a, it's, it's never good. <laughs> you know, it's very rare where you see on Twitter, the name trending beside like on that, what's happening, right? You see that it's never really good. It's never awesome to be there. Hardly is it a congratulatory message from the masses to the person that it happens to be trending. Usually that's an uh uh-oh marker. So I go and I take a peek and I say, let me take a look at why Guillermo Martinez is trending. By the way, used to play baseball with my cousin in Saratoga. Yeah. So, and I'll buy my cousin's personal account of Guillermo Martinez is that he's one hell of a guy, one hell of a guy, People love to be around him. Funny guy. He loves him. Loved playing with him. But I look and I, I see that the hitting coach is trending and people are losing their freaking minds. And I'm looking at some of these tweets and maybe this is just a subsect of Blue Jays Twitter and maybe I'm overdoing it for this, but we're really blaming the hitting coach for this. This is really what 
what we're doing now? You think that Guillermo Martinez is the reason that Vlad Jr. is having a worse season than Brandon Belt? Is this it? We, we think that's Guillermo Martinez that's at fault for Dalton Varsho being basically the exact offensive player that he's been throughout his career, just having a bit of a dip of a season. Like, I, I understand that the offense has been frustrating, and <laughs> I want to see it improve too. And if you told me, hey, like, J.D., they're going to fire the hitting coach at the end of the year because of this runners in scoring position thing, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's fine, whatever, move on. But for it to be like an actual main topic of conversation, I think is lunacy. I think it shows you just how desperate people are getting to find someone else to blame other than, yeah, the guys that are paid the the big bucks. It was funny. I went with somebody, like I went to a baseball game with someone who hadn't really ever watched baseball before the other day. And I was like pointing out the salaries of some of the guys. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. George Springer makes over $20 million a year. That's a lot of money. <laughs> That's a pretty good chunk of change. And then yesterday, you know, he was earning that money with that 13 pitch at bat where he puts one over the fence. But you start to go around, you start to look at some of these figures and you're like, boy, maybe you should just hit, maybe not the hitting coach stuff. Anyways, a uh, guy who definitely hit while he was up here in the majors, Chris Calabello, uh, former Jays first baseman. What's up, brother? How are we doing? How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm all right. I know. Okay. So this is a weird one because you actually are, I think, what, are you a co-creator? What is it? It's the Pelotero app? Yeah. I don't know why people get Pelotero so so tough. It's Pelotero. It's the Spanish word uh, okay. for ball player. Okay. So. Well, you know, that's, <laughs> I like how yeah, you're telling yeah. a Canadian, you're but like, yeah, I don't know uh, why I'm you don't get the, the Spanish word up there. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to reverse this on you someday. I'm going to send you a French word and you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, this is how I say it. I'm be like, oh, how is that so hard? It's French. Um, Romance languages are all the same. Yeah. All right. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. So yeah, you are a guy who, um, yeah, tries to help people with their approach at the plate. You're a guy who, has obviously put a ton of thought into this over a long career, but yeah, how much, how much do you put on a hitting coach or even a manager when it comes to like a team's approach at the plate? Like, I don't know how much you're watching in the blue Jays right now, but yeah, they have not been able to score with runners in scoring position like this entire year. They're the third worst team in baseball, despite having otherwise a top 10 offense when it comes to like on base percentage, OPS, all these different things. Like how much of that do you actually put on a coaching staff? Uh, Probably about three percent. Now, I mean, honestly, it's the whole the whole dynamic of hitting is incredibly difficult. It, the the hitting coaches and the managers, they're psychologists. They're not technique advisors, if that makes any sense. And I think the game has kind of gotten that twisted a little bit because. In order to deal with the rigors and the perils of a big league season, there are going to be ups and downs and sways and bumps and expectations and people on the radio talking smack about what you're doing and you're going to hear it. Scumbags. You're going to get messed up. And hitting, oh, so it's more my really fault than it is stuff. the hitting coach is what you say there. So you're like, hey, this guy messed them up. <laughs> He's talking. Uh, <laughs> It's not your fault. Yeah. It's you, you. I mean, players get paid a lot of money. They're the performers. They're on the field. I don't know what Vlad's work looks like right now. And if he's on the grind every day and doing it, like he's the one 
who needs to free himself from the burdens. He needs to let go of what is going on in front of him. He needs to go, okay, I'm just going to take a deep breath and be who I am. And then generally things kind of go better. With really good hitters, it's create your own stresses, right? Create your own demons. And at some point, you just have to let go. Um, they certainly need to do that. How much do you think like that actually can build throughout a season? Like I mentioned that this is a team that gets on base, um, like really well, top 10 in all of baseball. Um, but whenever it's runners in scoring position, they can't cash bottom three. Like how much do like, does that happen with the team psychologically where if it starts to pile up, it starts to be an issue for you as a player. It can actually start to impact an entire clubhouse. It's, uh, it's contagious and, people feel it and people know it it's the hard part is like once you once you tell somebody to not think about the color red they just keep thinking about red and this is way worse right i i was having a conversation with a college coach friend of mine the other day and he was talking to me about a coach's symposium that he did and this one guy that came to speak at it was one of the better I don't know, mental guys around there. And he said, what are your frustrations? Like, well, we don't get runners in from third with less than two outs and we strike out too much. Yeah. That's the chance. And the guy turned to him and said, do you talk about it? And he said, uh, yeah, we talk about it all the time, you know? Uh, and, uh, the guy turned to him and said, yeah, stop talking about it. <laughs> stop talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then things got better. It's incredibly weird to put those burdens on yourself as a hitter and live, try to live up to expectations. So much of what's happening with Vlad is, is probably trying to live up to expectations, trying to live up to the bar that he set for himself. And then all of a sudden, when runners in scoring position, guys, if you know, like, oh, we're not driving runners in, you squeeze a little tighter, you, you know, you're a little more tense up in the batter's box and before you know it the two-run double turns into a pop-up and inning over yeah it's weird with laddie because he's actually on track to have his worst offensive season since his rookie year when he was 20 um yeah like by ops he's down to 786 after yesterday which yeah for a guy that was an mvp runner-up a couple of seasons ago is like it's it's a bit of a tough one to handle um so we are having you on today in part because it's the day Jose Bautista gets honored on Saturday. It goes up into the level of excellence, which is like really cool. It's going to be a fun day at the ballpark. You know how the Rogers center reacts when it's, you know, the big atmosphere games. And it's actually really been like that a lot. Like the, the 2015 season, um, maybe not as much excitement because the fans have been, I think, frustrated with this club in a different way. Whereas 2015 was like this big fun surprise. But um, with it being Jose Bautista week, uh, do you have a favorite Bautista story? There are a lot of Bautista stories. I don't know how Can many of PG enough to be talked about hey, on the radio. Just try. You say them, and then if they're really bad, we'll dump. I gotta think now. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to really work through this to get to the best, okay, acceptable story. Do I have a favorite Bautista story? 
Jose is an incredibly smart and diligent man. He's one of the smartest people I've ever been around, most well thought out, most well versed. And he tends to be right. Don't tell him I said this. He tends to be right when he says things. Mm-hmm. So I know what that's like with him is he just tells everybody everything. So one day we're we're in the clubhouse. I think we're on the way to the plane, and he's sitting there he's like, "Man, we really need a, a massage person. We need better food on the plane." And, uh, and, he's, and he goes off, and he's like teeing off, and I was like, "Yeah, it's, he's probably right." And but then all of a sudden, I, I turned around, and we got on the plane, and I had this whole row to myself, and I was laying there. Didn't have to put my seatbelt on. Don't tell the airplane people that for takeoff. And my food comes out. And literally before we even leave, and it's pretty good. And he's still going, like, we need a three-course meal. It's like, oh, it's still pretty good. We're going to have to pick our spots here. This is a good flight, man. I'm enjoying this. So he's – he had a lot of moments like that where he enlightened me about things. And it's just, again, very smart man, very well thought out, very, I don't know, assertive. No, that's very and He clear. had moments like this all the time where I'd be like, dude, you got to pick your spots. Because if not, it's going to be a little bit irritating for other people. And I think that's the literally the perception that he gave to other teams and people ask me all the time, like, well, how was Jose Bautista's teammate? He's a, he's a great friend of mine. We talked for an hour and a half the other night and I really respect him and love him. And I'm so happy that he's, you know, this is Ho- Jose Bautista week. He's getting inducted in the level of excellence. Yeah. Did you talk to him at all about going up? Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about it uh, a couple times. I think most recently I was trying to figure out, I was actually trying to get myself invited uh, by him. Which I think, yeah. I mean, yeah. like theoretically by the team, I think uh-huh. he would like to have me. I thought anyway. So I kind of just threw that on him. Yeah. So you're like, Hey, but nobody from the team reached out to me. He's like, Oh yeah. They reached out to other guys. <laughs> and I said, well, I forgot I was on the team. And so I was like, I think I don't you know. That's kind of a cool um, thing about it, though, right? Is that you get to reminisce a bit about what was just like a really special year in 2015. Like, especially, you know, I almost say especially for you, but it was like, yeah, you know, you, how old were you when you came up? 30? Like, were you 29? How, like, what, what age were you when you came to the Jays? Uh, I came to the Jays as a third year old. Right. Yes. So, yeah, you had the couple of years in Minnesota. So you'd already been in the bigs, but you, you broke out with Toronto, right? Like, you have the incredible offensive season. Um, it finally comes together for you. You're a guy who spent a long ass time, you know, working his way up to get to that position. And so, yeah, I, I do wonder if like a week like this and, you know, you get the text to be like coming on this show and getting to talk to Bautista, if there's like some other things that start to percolate through your head that you start thinking about that year, like things that come to mind, maybe that you hadn't been thinking about because those synapses are firing for the first time in a while. I think about that year that, swing that moment every day of my life in some capacity it uh certainly when you get to experience things like this and get to talk about things like this it it heightens them i guess and 
it was such an incredible summer and I cannot believe it's been almost 10 years because it's so fresh still. It's so magical and to get to see this guy now get inducted in the level of excellence and think of what that implication is and, and how it defines what he was as a hitter. And I think it really, I underappreciate, I think, how good he was for such an extended period to be his teammate throughout it, but certainly heard his name and saw his numbers up on the board. Uh, but to your point, like, yeah, that whole year's magic. And I think reminding myself and everyone else about it is always pretty cool. So what do you think about when you say, like, I think about that moment, that, that hit, that bat flip moment almost every single day. What, what is it that comes to mind? What do you reflect on? The whole build up to it, the whole year was just, it was such a magical thing. And I, I did radio. I, I don't know if it was with you guys or somebody else a little while ago. And they asked me about this year's team in comparison to that. I said, it's so unfair to compare anybody to that team. And I and I, I mean that with all due respect to anybody else. I mean it with all due respect to great players that have come before us and after us. Mm-hmm. The stars were in line in 2015. The stars were in line. That city needed that baseball team. That baseball team needed that city. And we just all got in alignment. And it was magical. Like, we were walking through town and people were stopping us and patting us on the back and buying us dinner and – they knew who we were. They related to us and we could just rake and it was fun in a lot of ways that I don't think baseball ever could have been to me in my life before that. Mm-hmm. We were seven games back to the deadline. We knew we were going to win the division. It was crazy. I mean, make the moves and just go beat the brakes off people for the next two months. So, Ugh. It was, it was incredible. Like we came to the field knowing we were going to beat people every day, just knowing, not thinking, not wondering. We just looked around the room and you knew. Yeah, dude. You know what's really cool is that. Uh, so we've we've actually, you know, you weren't on with me, and it's kind of hurtful even that you thought it was me because you know there's no like likes me. You know, it's just you know you're on with me. Uh, but dude, every single guy that I've ever talked to from that team, that's the the party line essentially. Is we knew we were going to win. Like that comes up over and over and over again. And it doesn't feel like a PR statement. It feels like, yeah, something that you actually all just felt as a collective. And honestly, the fan base felt it too. Like it was just like this extreme confidence. Obviously the Raptors championship run, that was just a moment where the city was kind of swept up in something in a completely, I don't even think it was all that different to be honest. Once the Raptors started to, when they beat the Bucks, it took on this other level, like going to an NBA finals and just the, the disbelief that it could happen. But yeah, the most just universally popular team that I can remember where people just wouldn't shut up about it. People just wanted to go to the bars. They wanted to go to the games. It became such a high event thing. People loved the team. It felt special. And I, and I grew up and I, I'm, I was too young to remember like the 93 Leafs, but you would grow up and you would hear about teams like that, that just resonated with a city where people just loved the players. Right. And with that Leafs team, and I don't know if you're much of a hockey guy, but in, in 1993, they just got really good and they had a bunch of gritty players and good players and people that uh, people in this city identified with. And you would hear about that stuff and you would go, 
damn, I'd love to be a part of something like that. And 2015 Jays, that's the first time I've ever had that in my life as a sporting fan, right? Like we had stuff. It was cool. You know, 2010 Vancouver Olympics, Canada winning, but that's not the same. It was like a team and baseball is so special because it's like every day. And so it was just like waking up every day and seeing you guys kick the crap out of teams. And yes, Bautista being the head of that and just, yeah, hitting and being fun. And then all of a sudden you had two Lewitskis on the team and David Price is on the team. Like, yeah, you really don't forget that stuff. Like the elation of that group. So yeah, kind of yeah. back to you with like, yeah, you had the 300. I just looked it up. You had about 350 at bats the two years prior to joining the Jays. The Jays right now have a kid named Davis Schneider. He's 24 years old. I, have you heard anything about him? Have you seen anything on the? On the yeah, I, I was just watching him tear the Red Sox into one. Yes, exactly. So he's a 28th round pick who hit well in the minors for six years. And, and it's hard to compare guys to you because, yeah, your story is so unique, right? Coming up and, yes, to be, you know, 24 versus even 30 when you start to absolutely rake. But yeah, he gets the nine hits in his first 13 at-bats. First player in MLB history with nine hits and two bombs in his first uh, three games. When did it, like, when did you start to feel comfortable? When did you start to feel like, holy crap, this is actually real. This is happening for me with the Blue Jays. I'm, I'm like a meaningful part of this lineup. I'm going to be contributing to winning after, yeah, a lifetime uh, playing, yeah, jumping <laughs> around with different minor league teams where this was just like the, the, the dream of all dreams. What's he going through? Well, I think it comes from the place of belief first and foremost. Right. And I'm just going to be clear with everyone. This is going to sound egotistical and uh-huh. arrogant. I've been able to hit since I was in diapers and just because somebody didn't let me play in the major leagues. And just because my opportunity with Minnesota was what it was, including an injury plague season with a thumb when I couldn't squeeze it back. If anybody goes and looks at my minor league numbers, I could hit, period. And if you can hit, you can hit. David Schneider can hit. So the fact that he's doing it in the major leagues, and it's all about getting opportunity, right? It's all about getting the chance. And the funny part is, is you need to get comfortable in your own skin to play in the big leagues and be successful because we talk about the third deck effect and the the one-ear flap effect and all those things. It's it's a different game because you're now watching everybody that's on TV. You're now seeing the guys that are on the Instagram highlights. You're seeing the guys that you've revered your whole life at some point. And so you have to get to that point where you're okay with being around alphas and act like your own version of an alpha. And if you do that, you can be successful. And you have to check the boxes, right? You have to be able to hit. I hit everywhere I'd ever been, and now – as soon as I figured out how to be a big leaguer, I knew I could be successful. Now, obviously, getting in that lineup and being a part of that 2015 team was incredible because it allowed me to be in an environment that I needed to be in from a standpoint of you could be your own personality and nobody was going to bother you. Nobody was going to make you feel uncomfortable or awkward for being yourself. And that was the best part of like being around a guy like Jose. He was beautifully unapologetic. I, you know, told a bad story before about his, I couldn't think of anything better. So I ruined it. I'm you sorry. Try again. You want to do another one? I'll t- let me tee you up with this with Batista is that all we ever heard was about how fiercely loyal he was to his teammates though. Again, like good guy at making the us, uh, me versus the world mentality. And that's what I do think of a little bit with your story, right? As you mentioned how, yeah, nothing's ever good enough for this guy. Clearly sounds like a bit of a perfectionist, but also held, other people to a very high standard. 
Um, and that included the media and that included, uh, yeah, the team, right? Like, yeah, Bautista's clearly sharp. He's perceptive. He's someone who pays attention to detail. I think that, yes, you're right. That probably can wear thin with people at times where they're like, dude, again, like pick, like you said, pick your battles. Um, <laughs> when it's constant and every single day, but it clearly materialized in a guy, you know, who's able to turn himself from a, you know, relief pitcher into a guy who hit 54 bombs, right? Like, so, you know, you take the good with the bad there, but yeah, maybe speak to that a little bit, just like how incredibly loyal this guy was as a teammate to the guys around him. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like he wanted to win. Yeah. He had the ability to put you on his back. And I, I think people really don't realize game six against Kansas city was literally him against the Royals. Yeah. Oh, I remember. And we, I just remember he had these, these, these abilities to stand up in moments, like talking about a guy that had never been to the postseason before that year mm-hmm. and literally was just had the biggest hit of the division series, biggest hit in the last 20 something years in Toronto. And then is carrying us in game six. You want to talk about a player for the dramatic and, and a guy that was comfortable in his own skin. And that's what he taught me, right? That's what he showed me and allowed me to believe in because he also made me feel comfortable when I walked in that clubhouse the first day. He talked to me, not like superstar, a guy that's probably going to get sent down, but he talked to me like peer to peer. And that was the beauty of what we created in Toronto is we were peers. We all looked at each other and said, we have respect for everybody in this room. We have respect for your ability to contribute to this team because there's a reason you're here and I know that you can play. And in order for that guy to show up, you have to be able to be yourself. And that was what he did so well. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, and again, uh, a guy where there's, there's quite a few stories like that of dudes who came up and dudes who started to begin their major league career was with the Blue Jays and guys who Bautista immediately identified and decided to take under their wing. So that's something that's been like pretty consistent throughout hearing about the guy um, throughout his tenure, even when, you know, he was still playing. Uh, Chris, thanks again for making time today, buddy. I, I really do appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. And next story about how he didn't pay for the cab after me and Pilar bought him coffee back to back days. <laughs> oh, so he's cheap. Mm, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't tell my city. Yeah, yeah. I uh, hope I get to see everybody this weekend. I'm trying to figure out how to come up there. So yeah, I hope so too, man. I hope we see you down at the ballpark. Right. Hey, take care, Chris. Thanks, man. Take care, man. Thanks for having me. See ya. Uh, Chris Calabello, former Jays first baseman. You know what I'm saying about the, the special thing with the team? You know, like one that resonates? Like Kawhi... Like those rap, that Raptors team really started to resonate in the Bucks series because the team throughout the year, people liked the team. They always loved Lowry. It was exciting getting Gasol, but let's not forget when the Raptors first got Gasol, people were like really complaining because he didn't shoot enough. That was like the Raptors fan. They were like, this guy doesn't shoot enough. Danny Green was actually really well liked during the regular season. Then people despised him during the playoffs. Siakam was always really well liked. Kyle Lowry was Kyle Lowry. He was the growth. He was already established as the guy that he was. He was getting a ton of credit and people loved Kawhi Leonard. They really liked Kawhi Leonard. But like, I would say it started to become a real thing midway through the season, but during the playoffs, people were like, Oh my God, it wasn't so much like people loved that Raptors team until later. People loved Kawhi and people like were protective of Lowry. And that was basically it. Remember how pissed off this city was when Siakam tripped Embiid? Like, it wasn't the same. 
It wasn't it wasn't the same ride where it was just the Raptors throughout the regular season, people were going nuts for Raptors regular season games. People were excited by Kawhi. People were in totally enamored by the prospect of having a guy who could win them big games and take them deep into the postseason. But there was never like that type of a love for that team. I would say the closest team throughout a regular season was actually the very first year of like the Marner, Matthews, Nylander group when they went and played Washington and people just adored those guys. Everybody was so excited at the idea of the future for the Leafs and we got way too excited and talked about how many cups they go in. <laughs> how many, these guys are so destined to win all these cups to the new Blackhawks, I think. Oh, you know who else? I, it just wild stuff. Completely off the rails. But I would say that, and, and older people can tell me I'm wrong about that 93 Leafs team, but it really just seemed like that group, like that era of Leafs players where they're singing, you know, the Leafs are the best and doing all these, like they were love, 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 loved. People still would take a bullet for Doug Gilmore and for Wendell Clark in this city. Like can't go to a Leafs game without seeing a Gilmore jersey. That's definitely. that's what I mean. People love Felix Pot fan too. Yeah, it just it's loved, loved, loved. Felix I think fell off a little bit just because Toronto fans had such good goalies after him too. Where it was like Cujo came in, basically carried them to a conference finals, and then Belfour came in and had the single most spectacular playoff performance against the Senators that I've ever seen about any Toronto play. Like just got you know um, leapfrogged a little bit. Even though I love the cat and he was the reason why I started and. Still to this day, the most jealous I've ever been was me in my, you know, probably third-hand pads, my third-hand gear, one expensive piece of equipment that I saved up for, which was a nice heating glove, and seeing a kid that came in with a full, like, nasty custom replica set of uh, pot fans gear. Hurt. Hurt painful. It was so nice. I wanted it so badly. Uh, Anyway, uh... Something where it's like the city just embraces a team and loves a team. And that's the thing about this Jays team where he's trying to compare them. I'm like, first of all, it's zero comparison. There's just like nothing even close to comparing those two teams in terms of the way that they're loved. The offenses are so different. Like they're built completely different. In fact, yesterday I was trying to think about giving Toronto credit because they did build this team on run prevention. That was such an important thing to them. And as much as Varsho pisses me off at the plate, he's such a brilliant fielder and he makes a couple of good plays yesterday in the outfield. And they go like, all right, yeah, so... Even though I hate watching you hit, love watching you field. All right, fine. All right, fine, 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 fine. This is the way the team was supposed to be built. Defense, defense, defense. Um, and they do. They prevent runs. Good defensive club. Um, yeah, you can't compare them to 2015. But that's it. 2015 was the most loved team I can remember in Toronto. In, in my lifetime as a Toronto sports fan, from my time of living here, it's un, it's unquestionable. They are the... To tail like that run, those two months to close the season, you know, Donaldson going for an MVP, the belief that they, that you had the best team in baseball, the belief that you were going to whoop the Yankees ass, whoop the Red Sox ass, that you were just going to show up and that you had this basically perfectly built team. There, there was never a love affair like that. The moment of being down on front street, the night that Bautista hit that bat flip, and celebrating with people and just standing out there for an hour, high-fiving people on the street, losing your mind, hugging strangers. When he said it, like that hit me where he went, the, the team needed that, that city and the city needed the team, 100%. It just meshed. It just purely meshed. Um, God, I love that team. 
God, I love remembering that team. No wonder he's like, yeah, I was a part of that team. I think about it every day. Yeah, I would too. Um, anyway, even, uh, even when they traded for price and Tulowitzki, right. It was like, yeah, Oh, they're going for it. Okay. Yeah. No. And I, I, jumped I think on. that two months is it. It's just, yeah, it was electric two months. I, I jumped on with Ennis yesterday. Cause we debated who should go up the level of excellence next. And he was like trying to make the case for Vernon Wells. And now that I'm even thinking back more about that 2015 team, it's the stupidest take that anyone's ever had. Ennis saying that it, the team success is the only reason why it's like, yeah, exactly. That Edwin was part of the most special Blue Jays team since they won a World Series. You think Edwin ahead of Vernon Wells? Unquestionably. The level of excellence is for the fans. It's to acknowledge greatness in the franchise and give guys a moment, but it's also for the fans. And Edwin Encarnacion is one of the most popular Blue Jays in my lifetime. No ifs, ends, or buts about it. Iconic player, iconic celebration, tons of home runs, came here, hit his prime, hit his stride. He was the bash brother with Jose Bautista. Bautista absolutely deserves to go up first. He was the man. He's the dude who hit the 54 rather than Edwin, who was like, you know, usually hovered around 40, was like a 38 to 42 home run guy while he was a Blue Jay, which is nuts, which is real sexy stuff. Um, but yeah, no, he'll, he'll be the next guy to go up, and he's absolutely the, the rightful guy to go up. The awkward thing is if it's this front office, you're like, thanks for costing us three years of Edwin mashing so that we could watch Kendris Morales... And Nate Pearson. Hooray for those two guys. Anyways, it's enough of that. But yeah, what a special team. What a special moment. Um, I know. I know I will talk about that baseball team till the day I die. Like that will always be the team for me. Like the, the measuring stick team for me of, hey, is this group loved? Hey, is this team special? Hey, is this team, you know, really resonating with this city? Are they connecting with this city in a different way? Are you going to a bar, and if they don't have the Blue Jays game on, are you leaving immediately? Yes. Who the hell was missing any of those Jays games down the stretch? I remember what it felt like to get tickets to the Friday night games for that because I was broke. I was broke, and I was buying tickets. I bought a sheet for the playoffs, and it was funny because they were going deeper, and I was starting to get nervous going, oh, my God, I'm going to be destitute. I'm never going to financially recover from going to these baseball games. I, like, there was a, I was so sad when they lost, obviously. Like, I was devastated. I remember exactly where I was when they lost to Kansas City. I remember the outrage I felt when, yeah, the Amish kid grabbed that baseball. But there was, like, almost underneath it all, I had to talk myself going, hey, you know what? At least you didn't have to pay for those World Series tickets because you could not afford them. That was a very reckless financial decision that you made at the time having basically zero money going into debt. If I would have had a financial advisor at the time, they'd be like, okay, so you have no money and you can't afford anything. And all your expenditures are on stadium beers and stadium games. What are, what are we doing here? What, what's happening? You're the guy with the budget or it's been $800 on candles. Someone help yeah, me out dude, here. No, it was bad. Did you yeah. get to go to any uh, Raptors games during their run? Yeah. Like last yeah. Yeah. No, I went to, yeah, I went to two Raptors games during their run. That was awesome, but different. It was just different. I didn't go to, any championship games, obviously, like I didn't see Warriors. Um, and there was, I, I also, the thing was, I could have gone to a lot more as a media member, but you sit up in the gondola and you have to be a professional. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be able to enjoy the Raptors run as a fan because that's what I am. And, and that's why it's like, you never see my ass in the media boxes. Like I'm never there. In fact, it would be the weirdest thing for me now. I, I know that I'm a media member, but I was like, I don't see myself that way. Like I don't walk into a, that area. I don't, I don't ask for credentials and then walk in there and go, what's up? 
peers. I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I'll get out. I'll go down and drink a beer. I'll go stand in the outfield. I'll go there with the diaper crew. <laughs> you know, like I, that's what I'm doing. Okay. But I want to, I want to bet on game. I want to have fun. I, I didn't get into sports to be like, I'm the, the thing about that. It's like, no, I got into it because I love it. I got into this stuff because I like being a fan. I like going to the games and chatting with people and, you know, having stupid takes and good take. Like, you know, I just, I want to have a beer. I don't want to stand up in the stuffy press box and watch Kawhi from a million feet away and be like, I was there. It's like, that means nothing to me. I'd rather watch on TV with one close friend than be in the media room. Standing on the street, looking through the window of the bar and like with like 10 people. 100%. That was some of the best vibes. Yeah, that the was Raptors the best. Run. I love, yeah. no, the Raptors run was a hundred percent special. I just mean like it didn't really kick into a different gear. Like it was stressful. It was anxious. People were upset during like, think about the Orlando first game, how people felt like the, the Jays didn't have a moment like that. And they beat Orlando and was like, yeah, you should beat Orlando. That was like nothing that series like that. What, what are people's memories of the Orlando series? I have two really like, Kyle Lowry going over. Yeah. DJ and, Augustine. Yeah. Winner. Yeah. DJ Augustine. And then game two where the Raptors just thumped them. The Raptors came out and were like, nah, this is not happening. We are going to destroy you. And they did. And I, and Nick nurse, what Nick nurse once said, that's the best defense he ever saw a team play. And I remember listening to that and going back and I did a Raptors rewatch with Ennis a couple of years ago. And it's true. You go watch game two. Oh my God. They suffocated those losers. They suffocated them. And then this next series, though, was a, a nightmare. It was so painful. Everything. Well, like Philly blows us no, out that yeah, we win by Kawhi, two. Kawhi and, yeah. was amazing. That's the most just in love I've been with a guy where it was like, I've said this before, the, the people were coming out of the woodworks who loved Kawhi, who had never watched a basketball game before and loved, loved, loved Kawhi Leonard. And that shot is so special. Iconic moment. Facing the Bucks. Remember game one. Go Same down thing. two. Yep. Remember game two? Remember the way that people felt? It was like, that's what I'm saying. The Raptors run didn't kick into high gear till the other guys on the team all started to really chip in, and that was the rest of the Milwaukee series. That was Marcus Saul being down in the paint and taking it away from uh, Giannis Attentacumbo, slowing him down. That was Fred Van Vliet starting to go, remember how I can shoot? Becoming the greatest shooter in the exactly, history of the NBA. Exactly. That was Kawhi dominant. That's when the team started to become a team, and that's when they took like that whole other liftoff throughout the country. That's when there started to be watch parties in Alberta and different places that would have never had done that before. It was like, that was the time when you started to really believe. And even when they went to the finals though, people thought, well, Kevin Durant's going to come back and you guys are going to lose. So it was awesome that they got here. But I remember partying the night that they beat the bucks downtown down again, King, like you had to go down to the spot, people jumping up on cabs and, you know, going nuts, basically uh, shutting that area down. But I remember feeling like, okay, this was the championship. Little did we know, like, the, there was going to be a championship. And so that, that, that's when it got nuts. It wasn't the same with the Jays where the Jays had a legitimate, like, multiple months of people losing their minds and falling in love with them. Is it because the Raptors felt a little manufactured? The hurt from DeRozan mm. getting traded. JV no. got traded at the deadline. I don't think that because the Jays had missed the playoffs for 22 years. It wasn't exactly like people were like, oh, we're so in on the Blue Jays. Like, the Raptors had been more successful. They at least had even one series, right? They were painful. They never really went the way that people thought, like the first Bucks win where Norm Powell was amazing or the Heat series where Lowry had the amazing Game 7 that everyone had to cling on to. With Lowry, whenever people would bring up that he wasn't a successful playoff player, and they would go, yeah, well, what about Game 7 against the Heat? Look at those stats, all right? Yeah, okay, fine. It was a big game. I I'm just saying... 
No, I, I don't think that it was like the mercenary element of it or anything like that. I think there was definitely a fear that Kawhi was going to leave, that you really wanted Kawhi to stay and wanted to believe in that shot and that you were, I know I was anyways, trying to feel like during the Sixer series, like this guy is out of here. He must, he must be looking at these guys every single night as he's carrying this team and these losers can't hit one shot. Like everyone else's stat line is like horrific and he's just carrying them with just unprecedented numbers and going, oh, yeah, well, this guy's not going to want to be here. He's not going to want to handle this this workload. And then, yeah, the rest was history. So it was awesome. I'm I, I'm not trying to – this isn't a, at all disparaging the Raptors run. It was so special. I love it. Like the ultimate goal, the winning of the championship, that makes that team more special than the 2015 Blue Jays. They won. All I'm saying is when it comes to resonating with the fans and being that team that he talked about where it's like we're walking around town and people are like slapping us on the backs – they were getting that in the regular season. Kawhi got the member. What was his thing called? Kawhi, Kawhi and Dine. Yeah, yeah. Kawhi and Dine. He got that after he won a championship. I, I don't think that, you know, Pascal Siakam was getting free dinners after the Sixers series or during the regular season that year. Maybe it was if people were trying to show off. Anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. I need to share. An... Yeah, let's do uh, Martin Jones. I forgot to do that. All right, quick break. And Leafs got a backup goalie. Hooray. All right, turns out I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to do Martin Jones stuff in the podcast-only portion. So subscribe to the podcast and leave five stars. Why haven't you done it? Just do it. Also, follow me on Twitter and Instagram because uh, my best bet hit again yesterday. No big deal. So speaking about money, another hitter. Hitter, 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 hitter. All right, podcast-only portion. I'm going to talk a little bit about Martin Jones. All right, all right, all right, all right. Podcast portion of the show. Podcast portion. Um. I've been doing these lately. Jobo's on vacation. Armin came in today. It was nice. Simon's been gone. Like only Mackie's been here. I've been booking way too many. Like, yeah, I, I, I got busy afternoons. It's been kind of crap. It's going to be impossible. I was thinking about this the other day where I was like, oh, my God. The show is supposed to be two hours and will be again soon. It's a lot. It's daunting. How do people do it? How did I ever do it? How I did four hours of morning radio is the actual. I need, I need a 30 for 30 to show me how that was possible. I still don't understand how we did that, how that was ever a thing. My God, some of the topics I must have got thrown in there. It must have been nightmares. Boy, oh boy, I blame myself. Um, okay, so yeah, Martin Jones signs a one-year, you know, what is this? Is this not the vet minimum? It's like eight ninety-five, something like that. Something that can get buried, obviously, immediately if they need to. A guy that probably won't clear waivers if the Leafs try to do that. But worth a shot, worth a crack. Man, I, this is a pretty straightforward take. I don't, I don't really know how anybody could have. I saw one guy I tweeted, this McKee joked at me yesterday on socials, and he was like, you know, another guy for JD to defend because I, you know, I defend goalies. I, you know, the brotherhood. <laughs> you have to you have to be there for the brothers. But I just have always thought one of the dumbest things is goalies get too much blame in hockey. It's like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different moments and goaltenders take too much heat. And it's just an easier oversimplification of the, the sport. However, however, sometimes this is true. Um, there's a guy who is just a reliable vet, but he's 34 years old and he's coming off of a season with a sub 900 save. And he's a backup. Like he's just, just a competent backup. This guy's not a sieve. He's not some guy, like I said, the guy that tweeted at me after Sammy yesterday was like, he sucks. I was like, yeah, they're not asking him to be the starting goalie here. You know, he's not supposed to be here to start games. But the, the curious part of it, I guess, the only interesting part of it is people go, well, what the hell does this mean? Because uh, 
Joe Wall, you can still send up and down. So does this mean that maybe they'll send Wall down and keep Jones? And like, yeah, maybe to start the year. Maybe what you want to do is have the guy who isn't proven in Joe Wall play a few more games. Like, I don't think that's crazy that you would want to have Martin Jones be your backup, your primary backup to start the season on a what has been a mostly spectacular, good like regular season team. They're not supposed to be missing playoff games or in trouble because of their backup goaltender. Work it out so that you let Wall play, you let him continue to develop, let him play a bunch of games down the Marlies, and then have the 34-year-old Jones around your room, be capable, guy who's been into a Stanley Cup before, was awesome, by the way, that year, 2016. Truly one of my... It's weird. Martin Jones is not, uh, he's not a goaltender that I've ever like loved or been enamored by, or, you know, has even had that incredible over like an individual career, but that run he had with the sharks in 2016, him and Burns and Vlasic really, but those three guys, boy, they were nasty. And Martin Jones was the only reason they had a hope in hell, even in that Stanley cup finals. Cause the pens were a full blown wagon. Sidney Crosby played the best he ever played. Phil Kessel was on fire and Martin Jones stood on his freaking head for that Sharks team as Joe Thornton completely fell apart. He was amazing. But anyway, um, I don't see a problem letting Joe Wall play AHL games and have him work his way back up. If he's undeniable, if they're like, holy man, Joe Wall, we got to have him up here. We got to have him be a backup. This is what his career is going to be anyway. No, I think that there's a shot that like, is it outside the realm of possibility that Joe Wall is the starter in 2025? Right? Like, no. So let him develop as a starter. Don't put too much on him. Like, have this as at least as an option. Worst case scenario, you end up trying to put Jones down through waivers. He probably gets snapped up by somebody else. And then you're back on the market looking for another aging goaltender that can be, you know, some kind of a depth piece within your organization. I, I just think it's a decent move. It's a, it's, a, it's a solid play. But when I first thought of it, I will admit that I went, oh, no, he's just showing up for camp and this is going to be a camp tryout and he probably ends up getting waived. Now I'm thinking more a little bit like, Nah, he he probably the favorite to start the year as the the backup goaltender, in my opinion. Just given where Wall is at in his development, what he has shown, I like the kid, but we shouldn't be acting as though this is some guy that you can't put in the minors for a couple of months and let him play way more games. So anyway, that's just my only thoughts. Uh, I don't think there's anything else. I was going to say the Kojo thing is a little weird. Um, Sorry, not the Kojo thing. Um, Kojo's not playing for Team Canada. Yeah, they like a mutual thing. It was a weird one. Um, Pangos isn't there and Jamal Murray's not at the first exhibition game against Germany. And there's some, this is, this was the line from team Canada quote. He's not participating in the upcoming exhibition games. that will continue to focus on his off season recovery End quote. And it's like, okay, what is that? What is, so he's not playing. He's out. He was listed. And then they've been on record saying, if you're not playing in the exhibition games, you're not playing in the FIBAs. What, what what's the face you're making back there? Austin. Ah, uh, nothing. Keep going on the FIBAs. This is a uh... Phil Mickelson has bet more than $1 billion on football, basketball, and baseball over the last two decades is a news story that just came across. So I was like, I don't know how they prove that. That's probably FIBA though. Please. I don't know how they prove that, but I believe it. Cause Phil is just a notorious better and he's awesome. He's I that love video that came out with him. Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, yeah, like he had all, he had all no, the lingo the down right away. But my favorite thing ever is he's like, what else are you thinking about? When he's like, oh, what are you thinking about? <laughs> he's like, what else are you thinking he about? He's like, that. I'm only thinking FIBA about gambling. Though, I apologize. Amazing. Sorry. Yeah, don't make a face back there. I was like, oh my God, they announced Jamal Murray's like out out. It would be pretty disappointing if Jamal Murray doesn't end up playing for Team Canada. Like you watch that game and 
yes, Shea is there. He's awesome. They've got better players than ever before. And they lost to Germany. Dennis Schroeder. It's like, yes, Team Canada. They, the, the thing that's going to make them special is having the backcourt with Shea and Jamal Murray and having the two-headed monster that is those two guys. And yeah, they're going to need both. They're, like, they're going to need both. They were the, I think, the runner-up or the maybe the third favorite to win at the FIBAs. Either way. Runner-up. Uh, runner-up on Botano? Yeah. yeah. Either way. It's just... Without Murray, that completely changed. No, of course it changes. Completely. And it just, it was kind of a bit of an under-the-radar story. And all of a sudden, you're looking at it and going, are the Canada basketball demons back here? Like, is this really what's going on? Now you go, why isn't Wiggins there? Why isn't Nemhard going to go? Why isn't Matherin going to go? And now all of a sudden, you add Murray to that list, and it's going, fine. You know, it's awesome Shea is there. That's a real bona fide star that's there for the team. But then you start to go after that, and you say, eh... The roster doesn't have any front court depth. They need guard play. They need elite guard play for this thing to work. They've got some good wings, but it's not, it's not, it's not overwhelming. It's not, especially against guys that have been playing, you know, international competition and mostly together as a team year over year over year. This team needs some momentum. They need some positive momentum outside of just the, the expenditures and the fact that it's a professional program. So I'm a little, I got to tell you, like my, my team Canada nerves are coming out. I did that. I did a tweet. I tweeted a tweet after this roster was announced. And I went team Canada basketball fans. You're allowed to cry. Cause this has been something long time coming. Like this feels right. This feels good. Now you're moved the, you know, arguably the best player, if not the second best player, I think it's up for debate between those two guys. Like, I think they're pretty damn close. It was probably Shea all the way through the postseason, or all the way until the postseason, And then Murray was so awesome. That's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it is Murray. Either way, I know you put up the two. Like, you made that pretty conclusive arm in the room. But it's like, I don't know. They're pretty damn comparable guys. Um, I do think Jamal Murray will play. He's a guy who cares about Canada basketball. Throws time in Canada basketball. Has played for the program. I mm. think he'll be at the FIBAs. I don't have any doubt. But uh, I, You know what I was thinking of, though? is, And we'll wrap this up right after this. Is like, so... Jokic doesn't care because he's like, I'm horse racing. I'm not thinking about Denver Nuggets. He won his horse racing too. Yeah, I know. I, I saw. I saw the video. He's oh, so man. happy. We he's way saw. happier than the NBA championship. <laughs> <laughs> unquestionably. Unquestionably happier than NBA championship. Him winning that horse racing thing. Like, it, man, if you could, I used to have a thing of like, what athlete would you want to hang out with? And it's always Shaq. Shaq was always the answer forever. It's like, if you could uh, spend one day where you're treated as though this guy is your best friend or you just get to hang out with them, it's like Shaq. Shaq would be the funnest dude to be around. And you know, he parties, he does like, he's an events guy. He'd be amazing, but getting a chance to go with Jokic to a horse racing thing. And like, and he wins and you're part of his winnings. Do you know how fun that would be? Like, God, that would be just incredible. But yeah, I did wonder if there's a little bit extra pressure on Murray. They're trying to be repeat champs, you know, back-to-back champs. Like, is he there? If Denver gets knocked out in the second round, you know, like the third round. Yeah. Probably. I, I wonder probably. And the championship, it's like, should we be rooting against the Denver Nuggets now? I think the championship should give him more reason to play for, for Team Canada. Well, it's just it's been a longer season. That's the problem, for sure. Right? Yeah, I get he's that. An injury, he's been a guy that's dealt with some major injuries throughout his career, and so it's like the pressure from the teams is real, man. It's they the get, same with that, Matherin and uh, Nemhart. Like, the money. Pacers aren't letting them go, right? Because on the rookie scale contract, yeah, yeah. there's a whole insurance the first thing. Month like, of we're the very season. lucky Dylan Brooks got to go, to be honest with you. It's like, this, this is stupid. So they wouldn't be allowed to go like that. That's always a bit of a team cover for these dudes, but yeah. Um, Warriors didn't let Andrew Wiggins go, of course. We all know. No, that's, oh, no, that's not the reason. Yes, like, it's like, yeah, no, anyway. You can go. If you really want to go, you can go. Yeah, Wiggins had his own stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I hope Murray goes because this would be 
massively disappointing if Canada was just like another team, you know, like if it was just all right, like this, this really changes the momentum in an extreme amount. And I, I know people were going to say that sounds cynical and that the team still has a lot of NBA players and talent for talent with all the other rosters. They should be better. But like, it's not how this sport works, dude. It is. Thomas Sanarensky killed us no, last time. Exactly. The, the <laughs> point international ball is way different. It doesn't matter necessarily how many NBA guys you have. There's a reason why there's the redeem team. There's a reason why Argentina beat the brakes off of a team USA. It's like basketball, as much as it is like so much NBA mindset, you're like, Oh, this is about your best player. International ball is different. Canada needs some cohesiveness. They didn't look very good defensively for a lot of that game. They also looked like some guys were out of shape. Uh, and they need, they need some star power. They need Jamal Murray. They like, they need that guy there. They need elite guard play. They do not have a lot of depth behind him at that position. Like that's the thing is they weirdly have a lot of depth at some similar spots. And then they're sort of missing uh, some dudes that could be like f- absolutely filling that role. They're down three dudes. O'Shea Brissett, Kevin Pangos, Corey Joseph. And that means now all of a sudden that's him. That's four dudes. That's four dudes that you're missing. Anyways, let's wrap this up. Subscribe to the podcast. Hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at JD Bunkus. Um, follow me there because I've been giving out best bets for free. And if you want to play Botano, you know the deal. Hit me up. All right. I'll see you. I'm off on Friday. So I'll see you on Monday. All right. I'll see you on Monday. Peace.